Congratulations, you made it. It was weird, it was lonely, it was frustrating, it was very, very unprecedented. It was 2020, and as we are mere days away from this year being done and dusted, presumably some big switch will be flicked and next year will be exactly as normal as we'd like it to be. Or maybe not. What are the parts of our working life that changed in 2020 and what's going to stay exactly the same? Also, you used to use a video streaming service to chill out. But what if you need to use it now to work out? And one of the biggest, most powerful adult entertainment sites in the world is Under Fire. But what are the knock-on effects for the rest of the digital world? This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Mark Fennell is my name. Welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new, and in fact, the final episode of Download This Show for 2020, and we are joined by an all-star cast. I mean, everybody we've had on the show is a star, so really I could have said that about any show, but just go with me on this. Uh, From uh, the National Indigenous Television Network, she is the science technology editor and the host of the Here and Beyond podcast, Ray Johnson. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I believe we're actually talking to you from your own podcast studio at SBS. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out here rather than in my home studio that I mustered together for some unknown reason because I could have been coming to you from here the entire time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but we all have aged 10 years trying to get the two public broadcasters to talk to each other. That's what we learned today. <laughs> um, we're also joined by Cam Wilson uh, from Business Insider and Gizmodo. He is an internet reporter. I said that as though somehow it's a new concept, (laughs) as though like you're an adventurer with Netscape open cam. Have you heard about the internet? (laughs) Tell me more. What can you do as a thing called the internet? Are you well? So many things. I'm well, I'm well. I'm I'm not from a podcast studio. I'm just in a a closet of of my work, but, um, you know, happy to be here. Apple have been on a mission of late to turn absolutely everything they do into a subscription. Including, and this is a subscription I think I can almost get behind, Ray. They're, they're launching a new fitness subscription service. Tell me about it. Yeah, this this feels like it was made for me. I don't know how they keep doing this, but Apple Fitness Plus, you know, you can stream a, a bunch of what they call studio-style workouts. So think you're, you're Les Mills, but cooler. Uh, so they do high-intensity training. There's strength and yoga and dance and core and, like, cycling and rowing and treadmill if you have any of those things just laying around in your house. And they also do what's called a mindful cool down, which sounds like my favorite already. And you can stream the. Right. (laughs) Have a mindful cool down after your workout. Can I get it in chai flavor? (laughs) You can. You can have whatever you want, Mark. It's been a tough year. You can stream it on your iPhone and your iPad or your Apple TV. Weirdly, not on your MacBook, though, which I've found a bit of an omission. Yeah. You can only do it. No, surely not. No, you can't do it on your MacBook. They don't want you to. I don't know why. I'm going to ask them tomorrow. I'm going to be like, why? What's that, do you reckon? I don't understand, but this year is a strange year, so I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, mm. But one of the one of the things that differentiates this from, say, just you know, watching workout videos on YouTube, which is free, uh, is that it incorporates all of your metrics, all of your data from your Apple Watch and any third party apps that talk to your health app, and it can animate some of those metrics on the screen while you're working out, so you can see your heart rate or 
you can have an on-screen celebration, they call it, when you when you close your rings <laughs> while you're working out. And there's also a bunch of competitive elements. So you've got leaderboards, you can you know, share all your workouts with your friends. Uh, yeah, they've used their algorithms so that they can recommend you your next workout. It's basically just a really smart way of working out on your own. Oh, and you can choose the music. So you can be like, yeah, I want to do some upbeat anthems with my strength workout today. And if you have Apple Music, you can use music from your own playlists. Wait, you mean there are people that work out to songs that aren't? Total Eclipse of the Heart, like me? Is that... <laughs> that's disconcerting yeah. to me. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you brought up some of the competitors there. So Les Mills is a, is a big one, uh, which uh, some people might be familiar. Les Mills, actually, I think the bulk of their business is making fitness equipment, but they also have these streamable classes. And this is a sort of a, a, a burgeoning space of online classes. And I, you'd have to assume in part driven by the weirdness that was 2020. I know that there's that one that Chris Hemsworth runs as well. Centerfit. Um, yeah, that's tough, that one. I it? tried to give that a go and I'm just like, nah, I'm not built for this. Well, this is what I was <laughs> curious about, right? So, Cam, in terms of the competition that's out there, and there is a lot of it, where does Apple stack up against this, you know, this huge drive of, of different kinds of, of, of sort of online subscribable fitness, not just video, but also sort of that additional technology that sits around it? How does it sit comparative to what else is out there? Yeah, it's a good question. And and Ray mentioned before, like the free alternatives, you can get stuff on YouTube, you know, anyone can upload their own workout there. And I've like used those. In fact, my housemates and I use them a lot during uh, like early parts of the pandemic when we were all stuck inside. What did you do? The, What's your go-to? Uh, we, well, okay. So we used the Nike Fit uh, workout app. That's a free one. But then on YouTube, there's just heaps of stuff, yoga, or we just type in like random uh, keywords based on our mood. So it'd be like 35 minute core workout or like 17 minute cool down or something like that. Um, so there's like, you know, unlimited options there. But what I think Apple does and, and you know, where they're trying to, um, I think how they're kind of pitching this is that this is another thing that, you know, keeps you inside the Apple moat because, you know, they are still, even though they've made a really big move into the kind of software services market, they're still a hardware company and, and they really are trying to get you to buy their very, very expensive, honestly, like um, hardware. And so all these services, what they do is they just try and keep you inside the family. So like, you know, to, to use this, I'm pretty sure you have to have a Apple watch. So yeah, that kind do. of restricts you in that. But I guess the flip side of that is that, you know, it's not super expensive. And so you've kind of got this and you're like, oh, maybe I'll check it out. And and it is quite a good service. And I imagine quite a decent moneymaker for them. And when you take a step back and you say, well, now Apple's got all these different service uh, services that they offer. They've got, you know, the Apple Music, they've got iCloud. And this, again, is an additional fee on top of that. But they've also now introduced a kind of bundle, which kind of brings down the price. But ultimately, they're just trying to turn their pretty large customer base of hardware users into people who are also paying every month a fee to them to stay and use the the services that are on offer. To me, what strikes me is, I guess, the most interesting part of this, Ray, is the fact that there is that interaction with things like the Apple Watch. Do you think it's enough to make it stand out? I think for Apple Watch users, I I think they're going to love it. You know, I'm I'm an Apple Watch user myself and I'm a massive data nerd and I really enjoy seeing that data used in interesting and new ways. I I 
don't know if it's going to capture someone's attention enough to make them want to go out and buy an Apple Watch. I don't think it's really going to be worth it. But it sort of bolsters the decision to, if you already have one, right? Yeah. I think if you've already got one, you might consider signing up for it. You might consider signing up for the bundle that Cam mentioned earlier. Uh, but I think also one of the benefits of this subscription in particular is that you can include up to six family members on the one account. So you know, theoretically, you can split it a among a bunch of people and Apple are really trying to push for, you know, the kids to have an Apple Watch as well as mum and dad right now. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense for Apple. I'm just not sure it makes a lot of sense for the consumer, if I'm perfectly honest. I'm one of those people who has, you know, I'm already using iCloud because I want to back up a bunch of photos and I use that music service. And so I looked it up and, and to get the bundle, which includes the um, Fitness um, Plus, it's like an extra like a dollar a month. And and yeah. even though I'm like, well, I can just use YouTube. I've been using YouTube for all these things. I still was like, oh, maybe I'll just do it, you know? And I think the other thing is, and Ray kind of touched on this, which is that, you know, it's about getting the whole family into it. So, you know, if the decision is for a family member, they're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get an Apple device or if I'm going to get an Android device. They might be swayed just that little bit by the fact that the rest of their family has it and there's all these options. And that's the kind of thing they do to try and keep not only the person locked in but all their like family members as well because you know that's you know thousands and thousands of dollars of hardware sales going directly to apple in the future yeah i mean maybe people with like more cooperative families than mine like in the middle of the (laughs) pandemic trying to get a four-year-old and a six-year-old to do like one of those video workouts in our living room Oh, oh God, I'm still having a about it. I literally had stuff thrown at me. And then in the end, we started doing like where the kids would watch the, um, there's a UK guy named Joe Wicks. The kids would watch his one. And then I would go over another room and do my one. And then we'd all come back together and realize how much we hated each other. Anyway, download this show <laughs> is the name of the program you listen to. It is your guide to the year, week, month uh, in media, technology and culture. Mark Fiddle is my name. Uh, and we are joined by Ray Johnson from NITV and Cam Wilson from Business Insider and Gizmodo. And uh, look, just a warning, we are going to touch on some stuff up in the next couple of minutes that do involve some, I mean, not adult concepts, but certainly an adult entertainment service. And so just like bear that in mind as we embark upon the next five to seven uh, minutes. Um, The credit card company MasterCard is actually ending their involvement with a pornography platform by the name of Pornhub, very well-known website. The question is why? Yeah, so there was a New York Times investigation, actually, that found child pornography as well as videos that are the result of sex trafficking and and rape on Pornhub. And it's as a result, Pornhub has stopped new users from being able to post any kind of content. Uh, they've removed all content from unverified users in response to this as well. So to be a verified user on Pornhub, you have to submit a photo of yourself holding a, a piece of paper with your username on it. That's the, the process to be verified on really? Pornhub. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's, um, so that, that's if you want to upload something. That's if you want to upload something as a verified user and monetize those videos as well on the platform. That's, that's how you verify. Interesting. That's, uh, yeah. I had no idea. 
No. So a lot of other social media platforms, you know, if you get verified on those, you actually have to provide them with photo ID, uh, which can be a little bit daunting sending your passport off to, to Facebook and not a lot of people <laughs> really want to do it. But that's the process that you have to go through and to be PayPal verified there. And PayPal something similar too, actually, now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, Visa and MasterCard, you know, cut ties with Pornhub after this investigation was published. But Pornhub has said that it's been targeted by anti-pornography groups and that it's a little bit unfair what they're going through right now, even though obviously having any kind of content of this nature on the platform is something that they've taken super seriously. And that is why they've stripped the site. Like we're, we're talking... Quite unintended, presumably. They've, <laughs> hey, <laughs> they, they've gone from 13 million videos to 4 million videos. Wow a huge amount of videos that they've removed from the site. And, you know, this has had a massive amount of flow-on effects for the users of the site as well. You know, not just the watchers of the site, but the but the content creators on there as well. There's so much about this. You know, I, I think it's important to have a bit of context as well. You know, in, in the last three years, for example, Facebook... I know that we try not to talk about Facebook. Nah, so far much over you. We had to get it in there somewhere. We've got it. We've got <laughs> Somebody to get it in wants to make there. reference to TikTok too. You, we might as well get in where you can. <laughs> so yeah, Facebook. They self-reported that they had 84 million instances of child sexual abuse material on the site in three years, and during that same period, Pornhub had 118. Now, obviously, 118 instances of child pornography is still 118 too many, but the response to this being on Pornhub and the actions that they've taken, Mm. you don't see that happening on any other platform out there. So I, I think although the fact that they made it onto the platform is horrific, the actions that Pornhub have taken in response are incredibly responsible. Hmm. Cam... What sort of damage does have the events of the last few weeks going to have on Pornhub more broadly? Because Pornhub is a, is a sort of a controversial platform anyway, right? I mean, it's, you know, with its rise, it's sort of, its rise was inextricably linked to essentially, you know, piracy that was filled with, um, as, it, as most of these tube sites are, it's filled with content that was largely ripped from uh, adult entertainment companies and, you know, uh, adult stars. And then suddenly it was all on this site. It's like, it sort of almost replicates the early days of YouTube in a way. So Pornhub's had a already sort of a controversial rise, but what does the events of the last few weeks mean for their future? It really cuts off a lot of options that they have. Um, you know, like the difference between Pornhub and YouTube, other than the obvious content difference, is that, you know, the scale of moderation is just so much different. When I read the New York Times piece on this, I think it said that um, Pornhub had about like 100 or something content moderators, whereas sites like Facebook have like thousands and thousands. So, you know, such a different scale of investment that they've made into trying to get rid of this kind of content out there. And, you know, that that's probably for, for many, many reasons, but it does kind of result in the fact that it feels like Pornhub and the evidence seems to suggest is a bit more of, you know, the wild, wild west when it comes to that. So how it's going to affect them? I mean, it's 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 no doubt going to have a massive initial financial um, effect on them. And, you know, they've taken pretty drastic action. You know, these, you know, making sure people need to be verified, taking down a huge number of the site's videos um, just to, and they, I think they're going to go back through and check them and see how many that they can kind of put up. But, you know, this is a massive change in a pretty short amount of time for a company that, to be honest, has kind of had these calls for a while. But, you know, this article, it seemed like really, you know, lit a fire underneath them to do it. 
going forward, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't do I do MasterCard and Visa and PayPal, which also I think withdrew um, or stopped offering them services last year. Do they offer them again in the future? Maybe. I'm not really sure. But, you know, there are these online sex workers, people who are using the site legitimacy, uh, legitimately, who are um, monetizing their kind of content through one of the biggest um, portals for, for explicit, um, like, you know, for pornography on the internet. They've now lost access to that and they don't get that anymore. So, yes, of course, you know, the organization itself clearly needed to act on this more, you know, like Ray said, no matter the amount, the amount, um, whatever the amount it was, um, you know, child pornography and and also, you know, cases of rape and all these other things that had ended up in these sites, it's clearly unacceptable. But I guess, you know, this unintended consequence and perhaps if you're cynical, like the intended consequence of some people who are just generally anti-porn campaigners to kind of get this action, I think could have a really big effect on the industry altogether. I, I think we're going to see some some interesting flow-on effects from this. I think we're going to see a, an uptick in OnlyFans content, which is where a lot of the, the sex workers that have been using Pornhub you know, increasingly during the pandemic as well, because you know physical sex work has been impossible, you know, difficult if not impossible. Uh, I, I think we'll see a lot of them pushing more OnlyFans content, so people will be going there. And I think that we're going to see Pornhub asking people to use cryptocurrencies more. Really? Because so, I just thought you'd have a whole bunch of horny American Express card holders. <laughs> I, I, I think I think American Express will probably come under pressure as well. I, Diners I think that, Club? Anybody? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder if just they get gonna... rewards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who knows? Who knows? But but yeah, I think it's it's definitely changed Pornhub forever. Uh, this this one action, yeah, I, I can't even fathom you know, YouTube removing that you know sixty percent of the content from its site, if not more. Mm. Uh, could you could you imagine what that would do to a to a site? Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Ray Johnson there uh, from NITV and Cam Wilson from Business Insider and Gizmodo. Make sure you uh, check out Ray Johnson's podcast here and beyond. And with that, we are coming to a close of a year and it's been said a number of times and you're likely to hear it a number of times over the next couple of days, a year that we are unlikely to forget. So here's my real question. As we look forward, Cam, is work from home over? In this, at least in this country, or are the office going to forever be changed by what we've been through in the last year? Look, I think now that some people who haven't done it in the past have gotten a taste for work from home, I think there might be a bit more of a push to have that flexibility. But there's no doubt that companies are, you know, trying to bring their workers back into the office. And I, I think, you know, as always, there's a lot of nuance in this. Like there are many benefits, I think, for working from home, the kind of flexibility and what that allows. Um, and, you know, for companies as well, not just workers, you know, they can cut down on their costs and they can also, you know, get people to work for them who don't necessarily live in the places that they have an office. So, the, the, you know, there's real advantages for everyone, but there still is that kind of desire to be in the office. And I think part of it is, you know, how people People like to manage people. You know, bosses like to be able to see and, and, and you know, employees like to be able to see their bosses as well. But I, I think as well, it's just the, the kind of human, you know, connection, the interaction, you know, like we have Slack at work, which is that internal uh, workplace kind of messaging app and, and, you know, Microsoft Teams is a similar version. 
That no, no, is sorry. O- Microsoft Teams is a far, far worse version is what you want to say. <laughs> okay, there sorry, is nothing yep. worse than Microsoft Teams. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Come sue me, Microsoft. Teams terrible. Forget it. It's uh, Microsoft Teams that's the plague of 2020. No, Mark Fennell, quote it. <laughs> For balance, I will say that it's it's okay. Uh, I think we're required <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I think we can both say that, you know, they still don't quite make it the same as being in person with people. And I think, you know, people really do miss that so yeah i think that some of these changes are here to stay and i think the fact that we've made we've you know we've realized it's possible everyone can just start working from home or i should say a lot of people who work in jobs that allow them to do that it turns out they can there are a lot uh you know fewer barriers than they thought but we do see people kind of wanting to go back to normal at the moment I feel so differently about this and everything that I've been reading and everyone that I've been talking to about it, like it points in the opposite direction. I know that like I have that feeling of wanting to be around people, but that's I was reading a, a, a few studies, actually, like one of them was saying that the, the number of employees permanently working remotely globally is set to double next year. Another one said that it was going up by 300 percent. And the main indicators of people wanting to keep working remotely is is coming from the top down and not that middle management whose job it is to manage other people and they're all freaking out. They're worried that they're going to lose their jobs because their job is to kind of hover over other people and make sure that they're working. But productivity has gone up because people are panicking that they're not visible enough, they're not working enough, so they're working more than ever and and their productivity has increased as a result. You've got companies (laughs) a lot more comfortable with the idea. Fantastic. Guilt work. Yay. Yay. But also, you know, a bunch of money has been in- invested into systems to you know, put in place so that people can work in this way. And you know, also less money is being spent on things like travel and accommodation and catering and having those in-person meetings. And obviously, I'm only talking about office work here. You know, a lot of people working in, in retail or hospitality, this doesn't apply to at all. But yeah, these, these other companies where it's predominantly office work, they're seeing that they can employ people people from anywhere in the world. And I, I think what we're really going to see out of this is those flow-on impacts again to CBD businesses who rely on foot traffic, those cafes and, and those retail outlets that are, are really going to suffer in the future. But I, I genuinely believe that we're going to see the bigger companies go, look at how much money we're saving by having people working from home. They're still working just as hard. We just need to work out new ways of measuring their productivity and it, and it's going to be less you know hours in the chair based and more you know project and deliverables based what did you do today oh i i did this report fantastic off you go you sound like a good boss um hey Cam, <laughs> what's the the tech or media trend that we didn't pay enough attention to in 2020 that we really should be paying more attention to in 2021. There's been a bit of coverage of it, but I, I still think it's it's underrated how much we have really transitioned to uh, like online commerce and and particularly to, com- you know, the major companies because, you know, I, I, I always think, you know, one of the, ma- the rules of the internet is that it's easier for internet companies to kind of dominate. You have, it's, it's like 
people at the top end who can kind of do heaps and heaps, that it's not in the same way in the physical world. And we've seen that. Like, you know, I've seen this more from the US. I don't know about the specific numbers in Australia, but like, you know, Amazon has gone absolutely gangbusters. They've taken up an even more enormous percent of all kind of commerce in America. And we're seeing this kind of power, I think, you know, essentially concentrate in a few companies. And we'll be dealing with that for years and years because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we hear this this argument with uh, local news, but it's similar to commerce as well. You know, once the local stores are gone, it's very hard for them to kind of come back. You know, their advantage is the fact that they are here, that we can kind of interact with them. And even if it's not necessarily, you know, you may even be kind of dealing with kind of a few domestic companies, but even still, you know, these international companies like Amazon are really sucking up so much of the world's commerce. And we'll be dealing with that for years and years. And, and I kind of wonder if we haven't actually paid enough attention to that and, and I guess put enough into making sure these other companies that offer them competition are really here to stay. What about you, Ray? The, the, the trend that maybe we need to pay more attention to in 2021? Cybersecurity. Honestly, folks, you know, businesses, they're collecting and storing and utilising data more than ever. And they're really being targeted by you know, other companies that are like, hey, you can transform your data into this to understand your customer better. But people are preying on the vulnerabilities that exist when businesses take all of you know, their, their information into the digital realm and that they're easily accessible by so many employees wherever they may be at home. And you know, it all comes back to human error, really, at the end of the day. You know, we're, we're only as safe online as you know the information that we have. And I, I think we all need to be a bit more careful when it comes to cybersecurity to make sure that we're not being scammed, to make sure that people don't have access to all of our our businesses' sensitive information. I think we all just need to be a bit more vigilant and careful, and I don't think that there's enough attention paid to that. I, I also think that cybersecurity is put out there in the too hard basket or seen as something that needs a technical solution to a growing problem, but really we just need more education on what links not to click, what emails not to open. It's as basic (laughs) as that, but we make it so complicated. Yeah. Um, Very quickly, Cam, what's the the thing you're most looking forward to next year? Personally, a vaccine will be pretty sweet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm there with that too. Yeah, very good. There's a a, a science and technology achievement right there. (laughs) (laughs) But if I've got a tech one, I am really interested to see how the ACCC news bargaining code uh, negotiation kind of uh, ends up happening because, you know, at the moment, Google and Facebook, they are having these chats with Australia's big media companies to see if they can figure something out before it has to go to forced arbitration. So it'll be interesting to see if any media companies give out first. Um, but if that's the if that's not the case, if it, if it goes to the arbitra- arbitration, I think it'll be very interesting to see what we end up with. And I think the rest of the world is very keenly following this. Mm. And for you, Ray, what are you most looking forward to next year? Uh, I'm looking forward to that magical reset button that makes everything okay at the stroke of midnight. My that concept my, that I've been hanging on to for months. My brain has convinced me that come January 1st, everything's going to be okay again. But yeah, I'll, I'll also throw my hat in the ring for the vaccine. I'm eagerly uh, following that news to see which one is the most successful and, and see the rollout happen here as well. Um, but I'm also really interested to keep an eye on wellness as a trend in technology. I think we've seen this year 
where our screen time has gone absolutely through the roof. And the idea of turning to meditation apps or any kind of wellness or self-care that exists online or digitally, it feels like, you know, not self-care and not wellness, but <laughs> I think it's something that will be tapped into increasingly in the future and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how people use it. Good on you for bringing it back around to Full Circle. Uh, that is all we've got time for on the show this week. Ray Johnson from NITV and Here and Beyond podcast, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. And Cam Wilson from Business Insider and Gizmodo, always a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. I would also like to say a very big thank you to somebody who's been a part of the show that is actually leaving us. Uh, for the last few years, a wonderful woman by the name of Belinda Summer has been producing and organising this show. She's uh, She's been an incredible asset to the show and we want to say a big thank you to her. Also, if you've ever watched any of the videos that have ended up on television, you can thank a man by the name of Roy Huberman. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to Andre Shabanov, who was the person that makes our voices, like he makes our voice sound more attractive than we actually are. It's In great. truth... I am a troll, uh, but he makes it sound like I actually know what I'm doing. And that is all thanks to uh, Andrei Shabanov. And with that, I shall leave you. We'll catch you in a brand new year when that reset button kicks into gear. Have a great time off over summer if you are taking time off. And we'll see you in 2021. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.